Welcome to the Urban Hope Podcast. Today's sermon is called The Message That Turns the World Upside Down from Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 9 from Senior Pastor Alton Hardy. As his disciples, and one of them named Judas of Iscariot betrayed him. We know that story. And then one named Matthias was chosen by way of casting lots, similar to throwing up the dice. And they fell on Matthias, and he was chosen as the 12th. And then later on, we know Saul of Tarsus. He was called to be an apostle. He says in Galatians chapter 1, he says, It was not from men, nor through a man, but through Jesus Christ. And the God of our Father who raised him from the dead, that he was called to be an apostle. Jesus entrusted a very, very important message, should I say kingdom message, to these men. Sometimes I think those who are leaders in the church, I think we don't really understand the importance of the message that we carry. It is not like any other message. Please don't play around with it. Um, This is a very important message that you and I would all would have to give an account for. So Jesus chose these men, and we see that in Acts chapter 1. He gave them this very important message. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Until the day when he was taken up, Jesus, his ascension, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. They didn't choose him, but he chose them. Verse 3 said, and he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs and appearing to them over 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Luke says that he proved himself by many convincing proofs that he was alive, that he had power over life and death. We see that in Luke chapter 24, page 1052 in your pew Bible. I'm going to read there where Jesus shows up to his disciples in verse 36. It says, and says, and while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. I love this. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your minds? He said, look at my hands. See my feet. See the holes? It is I myself, Jesus says. Touch me. See, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. I'm not, you don't just go through me. (laughs) I'm not a miss. Touch me, Peter, come on. Touch me, John. Thomas, touch me, I'm real. I have flesh and I have bones. This is after they saw him die. They saw him hang him wide. But yet now he's standing in front of them. He's saying, hey, touch me. I'm not a ghost. 
I'm real. I was dead, but now I am alive. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They were looking at him like, and while they were still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Come on, Peter. Come on, John. I know you guys love fish. You love eating, having a fish around here. A ghost don't eat. So Jesus says, you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And they took it and they ate it in their presence. Why is that so important? Because I want you to see this. I'm not a ghost. I got flesh and bones. Yes, you saw me die on a cross. But here I am. Give me a piece of that fish. And he ate it right in front of them. And they're looking at him. That's the one giving them these commands. We all have to remember that the message that was first given to the prophets and now the apostles, that this message that Jesus had given to them is not an ordinary message at all. It is a message that is contrary to everything that the world values. You may even value it and uphold. This message is not like any other message you and I have ever heard before. This kingdom message goes against all the religions of the world. From Hamas to Buddhists. The message that goes contrary to everything they teach and believe. And all of their man-made concepts, their ideals, and their prescriptions. It's a message that goes against all of that. This message that Jesus has given to us and to his apostles, Jesus didn't get an endorsement from the academic institutions in order to get it here in the world. He didn't go to Oxford. Hey, endorse this. I just wrote a book. I had to get endorsement. Jesus didn't need any human endorsement. He didn't need an endorsement from Oxford, Yale, or Harvard. He didn't need an endorsement from the philosophers of the Greeks, of the Romans, nor from any earthly queen or king, president, dictator, Principality, angels, or demons. Jesus didn't need any of their endorsements. This message from God himself. And when Christians and when missionaries and when churches hold to it faithfully without diluting any of it but standing on it and living it out while proclaiming it in word and in deed, they will be viewed. You can take this to the bank. They will be viewed and seen as men and women who herald a message that will turn the world up 
upside down. When you stand flat-footed on this message, in this hour, in this moment in time in history, whether now or back then, you will be viewed as people who is heralding a message that will turn not only your world upside down, but everyone else. That's what the people said in Thessalonica about Apostle Paul and Silas. Says they are messengers who have turned the world upside down. I love how they say it. They say, and they have come here also. <laughs> We've heard about y'all. Y'all preaching some kingdom principles and values that we've never heard before. Who are y'all? Where you get it from? I can imagine Paul said, we get it from King Jesus. We can tell from the text that somehow the news had preceded the missionary team that has come from the city of Philippi. And somehow people had brought this word to the people in Thessalonica that there was a businesswoman named Lydia who had come to put her faith in this king named Jesus. I can imagine somebody may have said, hey man, that was a slave girl. She was oppressed. She was making money for all of her pimps and her hustlers. And she had a Parthenian spirit on her. And she was making a lot of money for a lot of people. And they met these uh, missionaries with this message from heaven. And next thing we know, we go from making money to being broke. Because <laughs> she got her mind regulated. <laughs> her heart was fixed. And she was delivered by the spirit that was giving her insights into the lives of people. Could imagine the word had gone out. There was a Roman police officer. Man, he beat us on one day. They said he beat their missionaries. But the next morning, he bound his knee. He's being baptized. And his whole family is being saved by this king named Jesus. God has no respect of people. Whether you're a police or whether you're a regular citizen, the grace of God is for all people. So the word was out that people were making allegiance to this new king other than Caesar. So the folks in Thessalonica say, hey man, this, they, they're making allegiance to this king Jesus is outside of Caesar. And so we read here in the text, verse 4 and 6, it says, and some of those persuaded Persuaded, this word persuaded is pytho, means to convince someone to believe. They were persuaded to believe by what Paul had shared with them. And the word of God says, and they joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, upscale, Gucci wearing women, Louis Vuitton purses wearing women. 
See, God's grace saved all people, from a slave girl to leading women in the city. When that message goes out, don't matter who you are, it saves. Verse 5 says that, but the Jews were jealous, religious people, people that have their own prescriptions on how to get to God. They're the gatekeepers a lot of times. Well, this is what you need to do. You know, doc, you need to do this, doc. You need to do this, doc. That's what, you know, among black preachers, we use this doc language. You need to do this, doc. You know, bishop, doc. You're a bishop, doc. And I'm not no bishop. I'm not an elder. The word bishop, elder, pastor is all the same. But the Jews, they were jealous. And the word of God said they took some wicked man. That's, no, look, put it there, wicked man. Men of the rabble. One translator says, he basically says this part could be translated, they were some bums. <laughs> some hooms. Some top goons of Fairfield. Top goons of Thessalonica. Jews, all, you, you see this throughout the book of Acts. They always go get some rabble rousers. People who ain't got nothing to live for. Pansagging. Come on, man. They hear some people here in town. Let's go, let's, let's, let's go get them. Some rabble. And the Bible says that they formed the mob. And they set the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason. Seeking to bring them out to the crowd. But Paul and Silas were not there. And when they could not find them, Say, where well, we can't get them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. And this is what they said. Shouting. Loud. Louder than I am this morning. These men from Jerusalem, Antioch, they have turned the world upside down. And they've come here to our little old nice Thessalonica. They've come to do the same here. The apostles didn't say this. The people said this. They gave this characteristic observation of the missionaries. Whatever they're saying and whatever they're teaching, it turns worlds upside down. And then verses 7 says, And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar. They're going against our king. We only have one king. He's Caesar. They're going against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> there is another king. <laughs> I mean, I was just reading this this week. I said, Lord Jesus, man, you're the real king. <laughs> you're not a fake king. I mean, you don't have to put on a whole bunch of rings or nothing. I mean, you're just king all by yourself, ruling and reigning. And they, they, get, they got their doctrine right on that one. They, they said, there's another king. Yeah, he's king of kings. <laughs> And Lord of Lords. And it says, 
is they said that the people in the city authorities were disturbed. They didn't like what they were hearing. Another king? You mean as you're telling me that people are turning from another king, turning to from what we got them worshiping, and then turning to this guy named Jesus who's a king? The Bible says that they were disturbed when they had heard these things. And they took the money as a security for chasing and the rest, and they let them go. My question here this morning is what did this mob and Jews, what did they really mean by making this statement about the missionaries? as it relates to them turning the world upside down. What was behind their words? You know, because you know, we can be talking and we can be speaking, but we always have our thoughts behind our words. So what were they really thinking and saying in the heart of hearts as they made this statement about here come these people who turn the world upside down? And I think um, 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, it will give us some insight because Paul writes back to this church now in Thessalonica. And you can go there in, um, in your Bible if you want, page 1172 in the Pew Bible. But Paul writes back to them, and I think it, it will give us some insight and in why these Thessalonians uh, are saying what they're saying to and about these Christians as they have come to Thessalonica. Verse 8, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. It says, Paul says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Archaea, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how, Paul said, and how you, Thessalonians, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul says, Paul says, we, we, you, you, we, when we brought this message, you heard it, you believed it, you turned from idols into serving the living and true God, true king, true creator of the universe. Paul says, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. I will come back to that, but I'm just going to park that from now. But he says, you, you've turned from idols. See, the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire world, was, it was full of idols. They were everywhere, all kind, every kind. The Romans had an idol for every situation in the lives of people. An idol for money, an idol for sex, an idol for drugs, an idol for 
um, prosperity, idol for a wife, idol for children. Anytime you needed something, you just go to an idol. You just rub it. You make it, or maybe somebody else made it. It's a big business. Gonna come back to that. It's a huge business. Because you gotta make the idol, and somebody's gotta get paid for making the idol. And so you go and buy, bow down to it, or whatever the case may be. These idols were everywhere. Paul says, you've turned from them. But when humans who are made in the image and likeness of God start turning from idols, dead idols, and to serving the living and true God, listen to me, brothers and sisters, that will turn a nation, it will turn a community and a world upside down. This, this community, idols were everywhere. It was big business throughout the Roman Empire. But when the message came and people started to turn from those idols and to the living God, I can see why they were saying, man, they're setting slave girls free. This message, it turns things upside down. As you know, idolatry, it is big business. Sin is big business. Let me give you a little indication of what I mean by sin is big business. Bear with me. Do you not know the sex industry, which is one of the highest forms of idolatry, sex, that it is a very big, big, lucrative business? $180 billion is spent each year globally just on sex trade. It is just kids at the border and all over the world being kidnapped, sent in all kinds of sex trades all around the world. It's big business. Let me give you a few findings about the sex trade in our world. This is also include porn. The revenue from the global porn industry is $100 billion. This is talking about just in America, I mean, just in, around the world. And is expected to increase to 117 billion in 2030. The revenue from the US porn industry is $13 billion. In comparison, the NFL generated revenue of around last year, 12 billion. And Netflix generated revenue around 31 billion in 2022. My wife told me Netflix is taking their, taking their prices up, so they may, they may get a little more money. <laughs> Some of you who have Netflix. Porn sites make 70% of its revenue comes from ads, banners, and, and links. And 20% of revenue comes from subscription plans, live webcam, premium, etc. And 10% of revenue comes from online porn games. On average, porn sites increase revenue by 25 to 40% as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The porn industry loved COVID-19. Yes, stay home. Don't let them go to work because when you don't let them go to work, we make money. We know they're not going to read their Bibles that much. 
But we know they'll come to our sight and bow down to our idols of porn. Big business. Impacting the world, the church, church leaders, and everyone else in between. So the question I want to put in front of us this morning that we all should be asking. So how do we fight, Pastor Hardy? How do we fight against the idolatry of the heart? Because Paul said they turn, turn from idols into the true and living God. Well, how do you, how do you turn people's hearts from idolatry to worshiping God, the true God? How do we persuade men and women in our families? That's a great question. How do we persuade them in our families, in our communities, and in our cities to flee the empty idols of sex, drugs, and pleasure, materialism, and the religion of no religion at all? What would you do? How would you go about persuading people to flee the empty idols of sex, to get out of the porn industry, drugs, materialism, or just say, I don't have no religion at all, which is saying I have no religion, which is a religion. <laughs> so somebody say, I don't have no religion. Yeah, you do have a religion. It's called no religion. <laughs> So what do you do? Well, how do you change their hearts, Pastor Hardy? Well, let's see what Apostle Paul does. I said earlier, and I say again, chapter 17 is probably one of the most profound chapters in all of the written word. And Apostle Paul is considered to be the best and the greatest of all the apostles and service in the kingdom of God, including both the old and the new. Apostle Paul was no joke. Man, as I'm walk, walking with him through the book of Acts, and it's just, you know, just like I'm, you know, you just, I'm just saying his name, like Paul, you know, can't wait to meet you one day, one day when I get to heaven, you know, it's gonna be Jesus, Moses, then Paul. Then everybody else just can't line up from there. I want to hug Jesus first. I mean, as soon as I, I mean, as soon as I get to heaven, I mean, as soon as I get to heaven, man, I'm gonna run as fast as I can. No, I mean, get your hands off me. Get me to Jesus. <laughs> Can't wait to and just oh, I don't know if I'm gonna weigh 300 pounds or not, but whatever it is, I'm <clears throat> man, I'm gonna jump on him <laughs> and just start kissing them all in his face and neck and. It's going to be a, a crazy moment for me. Then I started looking for Moses, David, then, then, then Paul. Then I get down to Peter. So Peter, oh man, I'll, I'll get to you later, man. Petros. <laughs> and so Paul, who's a great apostle, he wrote to the Thessalonians, said they had turned to God and from idols 
into serving the living and true God. The question is, Paul, how did it happen? How did they turn from idols to serving the true and the living God? Y'all know my word. I'm not going to even say it today. We know it didn't just happen by, mm, I'm not going to even say it. Something had to happen. They over there worshiping all those idols. And throughout the, um, this world, Thessalonica, I mean, it was, I mean, these sex temples everywhere, strip clubs everywhere. Nothing new under the sun. So how did they go from turning from idols to worshiping God? And so this is where we're going to spend the next few moments. How did it happen, Pastor Hardy? How did it happen, Paul? Well, it says in verse 1, that when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a capital city in the district of Macedonia. It was called a metropolis of Macedonia. Some say they had a population of estimated to be 100,000 people. So there's a lot of people there. This is not a little rural city. There's people there in this city. So Paul is going where the people are. He's not running from people. His mission from Jesus is to go to people. Not to avoid people, but to go to people. And these people need to hear the gospel of the kingdom. This, this message that is like no other message in the world. So that's the first takeaway. Paul goes to Thessalonica. It's where a lot of people are. And the second thing that he does, says he goes, he came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, for three Sabbath days. So the second thing we see, Paul goes to where people were already familiar somewhat to with the scriptures. But let me make this point about people gathering around the scriptures. There are a lot of churches that gather around the scriptures. But I would make the argument just by listening to them, by watching their YouTube videos and the stuff that are coming out of their mouths, that they may be gathering around the scriptures. And these Jews were gathering around the scriptures. And Paul went to the synagogue, but they did not understand the scriptures nor comprehend it. Because people gather around the scriptures doesn't mean that they understand the scriptures. And then the third thing Paul does as he goes there to the synagogue, which was his custom, the Bible says that he reasoned with them. He reasoned with these people in the synagogue from the scriptures. Meaning he had a dialogue with them about the scriptures, which was his authority. When you start talking to people, do you start with your experiences or you start with the scriptures? So many of us start with our own experiences. Paul started with the scriptures. The word of God says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. 
not his education, not his own experiences, but quoting the very word of God. He was having a dialogue about the scriptures. And then the word of God says, as he reasoned with them from the scriptures, he proved to them that Jesus was the Christ, the one to suffer. Scriptures what Paul may have been using with these Jews that they didn't understand. I believe that he may have gone to Isaiah chapter 53. And you don't have to go there. I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah starting at verse 5. I can imagine Paul on that day there in Thessalonica. And he's reasoning with them and proving from the scriptures that Jesus was who he was. And he started with verse 5 and he says, but he was pierced. You know who he's talking about? He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities this is old testament that's what they had they didn't have the new testament yet so paul is quoting the old helping them understand the new but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment of that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed that's what happened to the slave girl. I can see Paul. That's what happened to the slave girl. She got healed. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray, gone after idols. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before it shears, it's silent, so he did not open his mouth. He didn't try to get off the cross. He stayed on the cross. He was a lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Verse 8, Paul says, I can see him reading Isaiah 53. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, who of this generation protested? No one fought to get Jesus off the cross. Paul said, no one. All the disciples ran. They were afraid. No one went and fought the Romans and tried to get them down from the cross. Yet Paul said, of this generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Joseph of Amarathia, with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, listen, he didn't do any violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. In verse 11, after he had suffered, he will see the light of life after he died. He will see the light of life and he will be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong and because he poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many. 
and he made an intercession for the transgressors. Let me land the plane. Let me land the plane right here. So Paul's quoting all of that. So the question, if I'm sitting there listening to this, why is he dying for me? Why is Jesus doing all of that? What is Jesus dying to save me from? Me and Noah, you know, Noah's reading a book. Noah's reading a lot. Like him to read. Keep reading, Noah. And he's got a book by R.C. Sproul that says, save from what? So if I'm hearing this, Jesus is dying He's going, he's been crushed for my iniquities, for my sins. Why, Pastor Hardy, why is he dying like that? What is he saving us from? Some of us start out with saying, Jesus loves you, this and this and that. You got to be very careful with that kind of gospel. Remember what I said, go back to 1 Thessalonians. Verse 10, Paul says, you have turned from idols to the true and living God. And then verse 10 says, and you are waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead to justify you for your sins. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What did Jesus save us from? He saved us from the wrath of God. So if you preach the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God's word, you must remind people, if you do not believe this, then God's wrath will abide upon you. It's not no laughing matter. Let me just give you a few verses about this wrath of God. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Colossians 3, 5, and 6, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in your sexual immorality, your impurity, your passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry on account. Verse 6, of these the wrath of God is coming. And then Paul, in the second Thessalonians, look what he says. And I end with this. This is a message that didn't come from man. Men would have not come up with this message. The kingdom of God is at hand. You shall repent. Because if you don't repent and you die in that state, look at what Paul says, Second Thessalonians 1, 7 and 9. He says, verse 7, he says, to these Thessalonians and to grant relief, to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. This is why we share our faith. See, here's the thing. We just think because everyone dies, it's just some flip in the spirit. Paul says, there's vengeance on those who do not know God and on those, Paul says, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, you would think only a God of the Bible would tell us this. 
Buddhism is not going to tell you this. Look at verse 9. So as I'm reading this, I said, Lord, this, I, don't, I said, God, I just have to pull back sometimes. Man, what is it that you got me preaching? Look at verse 9. And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. You don't obey this gospel. You don't believe in this gospel. So I end. In Acts 17, Paul is going to crescendo this. The day of judgment is coming. God has fixed the day. And most of us, and I know including myself, I'm not always consciously thinking about what the scriptures are really telling me. Jesus is really serious. And this is why I started out. He gave to the apostles a real message. He says, hey, go tell people there's a day coming. I'm going to hold all human beings accountable. If you die and you don't have my grace, listen to me. This is why you got to pray for your family members. If they don't have my grace on you, there is nothing but the wrath of God. So when you present the gospel, you're saying flee, turn from these idols, turn from sexual immorality, turn from all this covetousness, stop living for yourself, run to Jesus. Flee to him. Why? Because one day you're going to die. And one day you're going to stand in front of him. And I'm telling you, it is not a laughing matter. I am afraid of Jesus. I am very afraid of Jesus. And I'm a pastor. I used to be a whoremonger. I used to be a liar and a cheat. But when God brought the reality of the gospel to me, that he's not clapping with my sin. He was crushed for them. And he means business when he says repent. Repent. So if you're here today. And you're saying God I'm playing in sin. I'm playing in porn. I'm not really turning from my idols. I'm making it a laughing matter. This is not a laughing matter. If you think I'm preaching hard. Just read the words of Jesus himself. Jesus said, if you struggle with such sins, he's a cut off your right arm. I tell you, run to the altar. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, pull your right eye out. And when you see, so how did they turn from idols to the living God? You know what? You know how they got there? Because Paul preached the whole counsel of God. He warned them of the wrath of God that was coming to all these pagans, all these lost people that's all around us. They don't have any idea. They don't have any idea what awaits them on the other side. They have no clue. They have no idea what awaits them about this thing called Jesus the Christ. No, I mean, I'm telling you, people don't really understand that. People in my own family and so with that being said, brothers and sisters, this is going to be in this Acts 17 for a minute. And I pray, invite people, because I don't know if people really understand what we mean by this gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of stuff coming at us. So with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, a text from 2 Thessalonians. Lord, if it wasn't in the scriptures, I probably wouldn't even quote it. 
But Paul quoted it. He wrote it back to the Thessalonians. That there was a real wrath coming. A wrath coming upon wicked people, Lord. Because of our sins. But for those who believe the story that you were crushed for our iniquities, you bore our transgressions, we would be delivered and spared this wrath. But let it be known that there's a wrath coming for the wicked, for those who oppose your truth, for those who are worshiping idols each and every day. There is a true wrath coming. Lord, awake us as your people to be like Apostle Paul, to share the whole truth of your word. Save from what? What do I need to run to Jesus for? I hear a lot of people saying that because what we've done, we've given them a Jesus that's not saving us from anything. Help us, Lord, to get back to helping people to realize that you come to save us from the wrath to come that is already here and abiding on your people in the world. Bless us now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Urban Hope Podcast. For more information about Urban Hope Community Church, please visit our website, www.urbanhopecc.com.